morning, everyone. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 12. Sure is a blessing to be back with all of you again. Very, very thankful to stand here. I thought it would be quite a few more weeks or maybe even months, so attribute your prayers to um, my recovery. So thank you so much. Easiest way to find Ecclesiastes is turn towards Psalms and then two books to the right, Psalms and then Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the political books. This was the longest season that I went without sharing God's word. Not just the longest season without preaching, but because other times that I preached, there'd be a home fellowship or Sunday school or evening service I could share the word. But it was a month, and there was a verse I kept thinking about um, because it reminded me of how much I missed immensely being able to be up here. Jeremiah was not able to share God's word for a season in his life. And in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, he said, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. And so I'm very thankful to be able to share some of the truths from God's Word that I feel like He's given me over these last few weeks. The title of this morning's sermon, have I prayed yet? No? (laughs) Okay. Father, I guess I was too excited to share your Word and get into it, but we would want to pray first, for sure, Lord, and bring this time before you, ask for your blessing on it. I just want to be your vessel, Lord. I feel like there's things you shared with me the last few weeks that you would have me share with your people, and I'm thankful for that. I think there are wonderful truths in these verses, reminders, strong encouragement for the young and old alike. And I would want to do justice to the scriptures and to what you want to say, and so I pray you'd prevent any of my failings or weaknesses from hindering the tremendous truths that you want revealed. I thank you. I know that for much of this sermon, it can sound discouraging as we talk about our bodies breaking down and and heading toward the end of our lives, um, but there's also wonderful encouragement in this for the believer, at least. For the, for the unbeliever, there's nothing but discouragement, truly, as Solomon writes, and so we pray for any unbelievers who are here that they wouldn't know that, that that wouldn't be their reality, uh, to live literally the book of Ecclesiastes and experience vanity upon vanity. So we pray to put them in Christ, Lord, open their hearts to the gospel. We thank you for this time and pray for the believer, for sanctification to take place, and encouragement as we look forward and lift our eyes from this life to the next where we will be with you and worship you for eternity. What a, what a truly wonderful thought that is, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this morning's sermon is When Our Bodies Betray Us. When Our Bodies Betray Us. And I want to give credit to my sister-in-law, Molly. She's the one who I, I got this sermon title. I got permission from her to title that, to give that title to the sermon. We're having a conversation this past week as so most of you probably know, she's experienced many physical trials the last few years. She's had some heart attacks and had some other things going on, so you can always be praying for her. And we're having a conversation, and she said that the thing she kept telling herself, or specifically telling her body, is, you are betraying me. And that was really fitting, especially as I was digging into these verses in Ecclesiastes 12, and so I asked her if I could use that for the title of the sermon, and she told me that I could. We were in a series on wisdom. We will go back to it because I don't want to waste the sermon I prepared. (laughs) I had a sermon to kind of conclude that series on wisdom, and on a Saturday that I had spent in bed, that was my first day in bed, Katie said, you know, there's a real chance you might not preach tomorrow. You should let Pastor Nathan know that so he can prepare something. And I said, well, I'm sure I'll preach tomorrow. Um, But I, so I messaged Nathan. I said, hey, my wife, you know, she's basically telling me to tell you this. And uh, it's Saturday night, you know, put a sermon, we'll just put a sermon together real quick if you can in case I can't preach. And very graciously, he uh, did. And Sunday morning I woke up and I mean, maybe I'm not really good dealing with pain, but it was fairly excruciating and I just had to spend the whole day in bed. There's no way I could have preached. And that was the first of those few weeks that I was in bed just lying down and I couldn't lay on my side, so it was just flat on my back. And, I, and when you can't do anything except lie on your back, what do you get to do quite a bit of? Yeah, you get to think. You get to think. I have never been a big journaler. When something profound comes to mind to me, I just put it right into my sermon notes. If you were to look on my computer, I have a document for every book of the Bible within that document or the different chapters, and I just am always refining and polishing and hopefully improving those notes on those verses when I preach them. So I put something there anytime I think of something worthwhile. And when I was in bed, I was adding considerably to Ecclesiastes and, and 2 Corinthians 4, which I'll preach on next Sunday. And I thought, you know, I'd like to share these thoughts with the church, the things that I feel like God has shown me, because, well, really for a few reasons— this has been a fairly trying season or, or year, not just for um, me or a few other people in the church, but, but for most of the people in the church. 
Also, Jameson preached on trials a few weeks ago. If you haven't listened to those sermons, I'd highly encourage you to. Those two weeks um, were, were wonderful for me, particularly just lying in bed, looking at him and being fed, uh, sitting under his preaching was a great blessing to me. Make sure you hear those sermons if you haven't. But I thought that this sermon and next week's sermon would flow well from, from um, those sermons as well. So what I want to do this morning is I want to read through these verses in Ecclesiastes 12. I want to give you an understanding of them, and then I want to share the application from them. So look with me at verse 1. Solomon says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. And we'll talk more about that part later. Then he says, Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now some of your Bibles might not say before the evil days come. Does anyone else have something different before the what? difficult days come. Don't think evil days in terms of, uh, you know, days filled with wickedness as the world gets worse and worse. He, when he says evil days, he's referring to those days when you get older that are filled with difficulty or pain or physical trials. He means, uh, which is why it's translated that way in some Bibles, the disabilities, the sicknesses, the handicaps. Even just this morning talking with Ellie Williams and some of the things that she's going through. Many people have reached out to us We've heard about many of the physical trials people have been dealing with. Some of them were a complete surprise to me. There were wives who were talking to Katie, encouraging Katie about me by sharing about the things that their husbands were dealing with. Husbands that to me seem to be perfectly healthy, but have been experiencing different uh, ailments and, and physical trials. And so that's what Solomon is talking about there. When he says the evil days to come, he basically means when you get older and your body starts betraying you. Now look at verse 2. He says, before the sun, and he's talking about old age here, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And so Solomon is comparing old age. It's interesting. Even when I was in the conversation with Ellie this morning, I didn't get Ellie's permission to share all this stuff. Is it okay if I share all this stuff, Ellie? It's probably okay. So, so she's like, the golden years. That's what she said. These are the golden years. That's not necessarily how the Bible presents those years. Right here in this verse, it's the before the sun and light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So he's comparing old age with a gloomy day or stormy day where the clouds cloud out your enjoyment or pleasure that you could find in life. And then in the following verses, what Solomon does, just to tell you ahead of time so you can look for this, he provides really one of the most imaginative and creative descriptions of old age or of our bodies breaking down and then even of death itself in all of scripture, what he does is compare our bodies with a house, a house that is breaking down and then finally falls apart and re- returns to dust, which is fitting because that's also what happens with our bodies. And there are other places in scripture that make this same comparison. Job 4.19, which is why it is such a fitting metaphor. Job 4.19, how much more are those who dwell in houses of clay whose foundation is in the dust who are crushed like the moth. 2 Corinthians 5, 1, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house that is not made with hands, that is eternal in the heavens. So as we read these verses, we're going to see Solomon describe the breakdown of this house. If you happen to write in your Bible, I will tell you those things you can circle so that you can uh, identify what part of the body he's referring to. And I thought it'd be interesting just if I asked you and you were to respond and let me know what you think he's talking about here. So look with me in verse 3. Solomon says, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Any guesses? You don't have to be too shy. Any guesses? Your arms and legs. Your arms and legs start shaking or trembling as you get older. Those are the protectors or the keepers of your, of your house. Verse 3 goes on, he says, the strong men are bent. I'm not really going to ask you to guess about this one. If you want, you can circle the verse and write osteoporosis. This is referring to getting older and how older people are, are generally hunched over, however strong, even, it says even, this happens even to the strongest men, and I would say women. Verse 3 goes on, it says, the grinders cease because they are few. Teeth, talking about teeth there, to grind our food, become few as they are to fall out. Verse 3 those who look through the windows are dimmed. Our eyes, yes, our eyes are, uh, as our sight begins to fade, it's, you know, that's what he means when he says that it's dimmed. 
Verse 4, he says, the doors on the street are shut. Commentators largely agree on these verses, but this is one part where there was some disagreement. Uh, I take this to mean mouths. Our mouths are shut. And one reason I hold to this interpretation versus some of the other ones is, and this is just a little fact, a little tool to take with you in your Bible reading, you always want to let the Bible interpret the Bible. You let Scripture interpret Scripture. So whenever you're looking at a, a passage in Scripture and there are multiple possible interpretations for that, you always embrace the interpretation that harmonizes or is compatible with elsewhere in Scripture. And so for me, Psalm 141.3, David said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the doors of my lips. And so we have elsewhere in Scripture where our mouths are compared with doors. And so here he says older people might not talk as much maybe because they don't have as much to say or they just don't have the same enthusiasm for life that would have caused them to share earlier. Verse 4 goes on, he says, when the sound of the grinding is low. Again, this refers to our teeth. Less grinding because older people are not eating as much. Verse 4 goes on, one rises at the sound of a bird. What's that? You just can't sleep well. The slightest sound wakes you up from your slumber. Verse 4 goes on, he says, the daughters of song are brought low. It doesn't mean that people start, what's he talking about here in this verse? You're hearing. He doesn't mean that people are singing uh, more quietly. He just means that you don't hear them. You don't hear the singing as well. It's brought low for you as your hearing goes out. Verse 5, they're afraid also of what is high. Older people are not going to want to go up on high places. They'll be more fearful of stairs and, and so forth. And then he says, terrors are in the way. When he says terrors in the way, that one isn't, doesn't have quite as much application for us. But in the ancient world, it was a dangerous thing to travel. Kind of take your, that was, Solomon wrote this in his day, a thousand years before Christ. Take your mind to Christ's day in the parable of the Good Samaritan and the man who was traveling and then he was robbed. So there were terrors or there could be thieves or robbers in the ways you travel and older people will be fearful knowing that they could be preyed on easier, not have as much ability to uh, escape. Verse 5, he says, the almond tree blossoms. What do we have there? This is an easier one. What do we have for the almond tree blossom? I don't want to have to point anyone out. Yeah, your hair, right? The almond tree blossoms. It turns white. It's just referring to hair turning, turning gray or turning white. It says, the grasshopper drags itself along. And this is referring to the grasshopper wearing itself out during the summer season as it prepares for winter and then it's tired and fatigued and drags itself along, moving very slowly as an older person might. It says, desire fails, lacking the desire to do certain things. Most commentators point out this is referring to physical intimacy, which could diminish with age, but it could also be referring to anything where you're lacking some of the same passion or initiative in life that you had earlier. Verse 5, he says, because man, now it's very clear, there's not much... That, you know, there's no metaphors. We're moving to uh, real clarity here. He says, man is going to his eternal home, getting ready to leave this life for the next. The mourners are going about the streets. In the ancient world, they'd hire mourners, people who would wail and sob when someone died, and that's what this is referring to, the funeral taking place. The following verse, just to tell you ahead of time, is the, is the one with the most controversy or, or disagreement among commentators. Verse 6 uses a number of different metaphors for death, and I'll tell you after looking at a a number of commentaries what I believe each one of them means, but it is my best guess. I could be wrong. So look at verse 6. He says, before the silver cord is snapped, this probably refers to the spinal cord breaking, says the golden bowl is broken. This probably refers to our brain stopping. Says the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. This could refer to the heart failing. And again, I take this interpretation because I think it harmonizes with elsewhere in Scripture where the heart is associated with a fountain. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. And then he says the wheel is broken at the cistern. That probably has our arteries or veins in view which flow from the wheel or flow from the heart the way that spokes on a wheel go out. Even in the ancient world, they understood that when people died, their arteries and veins are no longer pumping blood. And then this interpretation, even if I'm incorrect on any of my understanding of it, nobody disagrees that what Solomon is talking about is death. And there are some important things that we can glean from what he's uh, shared up to this point. And this brings us to lesson one. Our body, part one, is fragile. Our body, part one, is fragile. Most of the things that Solomon mentioned here 
are fragile. He mentioned a silver cord, a golden bowl, a pitcher, and similarly, our bodies are fragile. It was interesting for me writing this because this is probably the word that most came to mind to me. If someone asked me how I felt over the last month, if I wasn't in pain, I would just say that I felt fragile. So I'm lying in my bed. Most of this time, I want to see my, my family. My children would come in. Katie's often kind of the gatekeeper there. They've got to get past her, and guess what Katie says every single time they're coming into the room? You know, be careful with your daddy, or basically your daddy is fragile. They want to come in, and they want to run and jump on the bed or something like that. I came to church, came to, it went, well, once I could stand up, and even when I could walk around the house, there was still this feeling with all of my children, like, be careful with daddy. You know, if you hug him, hug him gently, uh, hold his hand gently, don't pull on him, don't jump on him or anything like that. I came to church last Sunday, even happened somewhat this, this morning. People see me, it's very nice to see everyone. People come up and they're kind of reading me and it's like, do I shake his hand or do I hug him? And if, he, if I hug him, I, I don't want to break him. You know, hug him very gently. So I'm at home and it's like, be careful with daddy. I get to church and it's like, be careful with Pastor Scott. You know, he's very fragile. So thank you, thank you for being gentle with me. Here's, my, here's why I'm saying all this. Many people start feeling fragile or become fragile as they get older, and Solomon is providing phenomenal advice. He is providing phenomenal counsel here. The reason that I wanted to look through these verses first is that if you look back at verse uh, earlier in the passage when Solomon says to remember your creator in the days of your youth before those evil or before those difficult or painful days come, consider how uh, beneficial that advice truly is. He's telling you there's clouds, storm clouds on the horizon. There's pain coming. There's suffering coming. Your body is going to betray you. Your body is going to break down when you get older. So what is very important? That earlier in your life, you have remembered your creator and you have laid that foundation for when those difficult days come. Who's going to be able to handle old age, all the pain, all the suffering, all the grief from it? Only a believer, only someone that can look to Christ for comfort. Otherwise, all of that suffering, all of that pain is absolutely meaningless. There's no hope found in it. And as James says, to count it all joy, the unbeliever is unable to do that. And so Solomon says, before all these things start happening to you, you need to remember your creator and lay that strong spiritual foundation for the difficulty that's ahead. The next part of lesson one, our body is, fra- is valuable. This is a little, uh, this, this lesson might be a l- hidden a little more from us because of how wealthy or how opulent we are. But if you were to read this in Solomon's day, you understood that he's not just describing the breaking of objects, he's describing the breaking of very valuable objects. Few people are going to have silver cords few people are going to have golden bowls. I don't, we don't eat out of golden bowls at our houses. At our house, you know, we don't, we don't have things hanging lamps from silver cords. And so he's, he's talking about how valuable these objects are, and they're objects that represent our bodies. He's talking about the value that, we, that our bodies have. The next part of lesson one, our body part three can break suddenly and unexpectedly. Can break suddenly and unexpectedly. No joke, when I say this, this past week I couldn't help looking at the verbs Solomon uses and considering how fitting they are. Break, snap, and shatter. It is not pleasant to think about, but this describes what can happen to our bodies as we age. Even if you're healthy at this moment, which you can thank God for, you're heading towards something breaking or snapping or shattering more than likely. Because as we get older, exactly what Solomon describes happening to these objects is what can happen to us. Now, in particular, Solomon is actually describing death. And because all of these objects break very suddenly or they break very unexpectedly, he's also describing not just how we are hurt or injured. I mean, if, you, if, if I took my mind, I'm not comparing my trial or my suffering to anyone else's or saying that it's worse in any way. With that out of the way, if you were to go back six weeks, I would have told you that I would not expect to be experiencing what to me at times was fairly excruciating pain and spending the next month just lying on my bed. And so my point is what? These things, they just happen suddenly. 
They can happen very unexpectedly. Trials, difficulty, ailments, diseases. You talk to people that have diseases, most likely they will tell you that they didn't know that they were going to receive that diagnosis or that that was going to happen to them. But he's also talking about his death, though, which we need to be aware of. He's talking about death coming suddenly. He's talking about it coming very unexpectedly. Look at verse 7. He says, The dust is going to return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit is going to return to God who gave it. Dealing with plenty of metaphors up to this point, this is very straightforward. Talking about two directions here, he says that our bodies are going to go into the ground, they're going to return and become the dust. Dust again, he's kind of looking back to Genesis 2, 7 and 3, 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The house just breaks down, becomes dilapidated, falls apart, becomes dust. The same with our bodies. And then prior to that, though, our spirit leaves our body and goes to heaven. And so within the medical community, there can be some different definitions of death. They might talk about brain waves. They might talk about, you know, what's happening with your heart. I can tell you, biblically speaking, death is the moment the spirit leaves the body. That's what death is. Death in Scripture is personified as this enemy that Christ has defeated for us. But if you take your minds to the book of Revelation, I think it might be verse 9, God actually prevents death from taking place. There are individuals who are on the earth at that time who for five months cannot die. Well, what does that mean? That means their spirit doesn't leave their body. It's, it would be terror. I can't imagine what it would be like, the suffering that people would be experiencing. Just It says wishing to die, but being unable to die, it seems, because their spirit will not leave their body. And so that's what he's got in view here. He's got death in view. I want to share something with you. Katie and I went over the sermon this past week like we normally do, and there were probably three or four times where she made the same point to me. She said, this is a terribly discouraging sermon. <laughs> and she, I think she said that it might have been the mo- one of the most discouraging sermons that she's ever heard before. And I agreed with her. I didn't argue with her. But I'll tell you this. It's absolutely true. And you need to hear it, and you need to be aware of it. And it's in God's word for us to know. And he's put this here because this is exactly what is happening or is going to happen. And there are a lot of people who have come to the end of their lives and probably would wish more than anything that they would have had someone or heard a sermon that pointed them toward their creator earlier than that. Now, the fact that God has put this in his word for us tells us what? It's important. It's true. And he wants us to know it. Now, I'll be the first one to say that I know that this doesn't jive with health and wealth or prosperity preaching. Nobody wants to hear stuff like this in those churches. But what kind of failure and disappointment and grief, mentally, emotionally, and in particular spiritually, are those people being set up for when nobody talks to them about their bodies betraying them or their bodies breaking down or trials and suffering or they're hearing the opposite that that's... What do they hear? They hear the opposite, that God doesn't want that for you. That if you were to proclaim or you were to declare... I mean, this is one of the main points from Jameson's sermon, that if you ask in Jesus' name, this is what these people are being told, or you declare that this isn't going to happen, then it's not going to happen. You can cast out that sickness or cast out that disability almost as though it's a, an evil spirit or something. And it's just lies. It's lies that set people up for terrible disappointment. And so God records the truth for us here, and we need to hear this. If you look back with me at verse 1, I think you can find application better now that we've covered these verses. There will be encouragement toward the end. Look with me at verse 1. Just read it again. Solomon says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, or the difficult and painful days, and the years draw near when you're older, and you would say, I have no pleasure in these days any longer before the sun and light and the moon and stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. If you hadn't, who, who needs to remember their creator? Simply put, who? Everyone. That's the answer. That's correct. It wasn't a trick question. Everyone needs to remember their creator. So if you hadn't read these verses before, you'd probably expect Solomon to say, remember your creator, however old you are or in any stage of life, or all of you remember your creator. That's not what he does, though. Why not? He addresses who? He addresses young people. 
or youth. That's who he talks to specifically with these verses, which is interesting because as you read the verse, it looks like he's largely talking about old people, but at the beginning, he targets young people. And why would he do that? Why would he say this? The simple answer is it's easy to forget your creator in the days of your youth. Older people don't often have to be told that. There's really a lot we can learn from this, and it brings us to lesson two. It is easy to forget our creator in the days of our youth because part one, everything is working well. Enjoy it now, all you young people. (laughs) When you're young, you don't typically have the sort of problems physically or I suppose even mentally that Solomon describes in these verses that older people have. And that's to your detriment in some respects. It really is. Because what benefit or blessing do trials typically have for people? They cause people to, I mean, you you could take, sometimes you could take the atheist, you could take the agnostic, they get the cancer diagnosis, or they're experiencing terrible suffering, and they might not have prayed before, but there's greater greater likelihood that they will. And so one of the benefits or advantages of trials is it causes people to look up It causes them to pray and seek deliverance from what they're experiencing. And so for people as they get older, there's a lot of time that their attention is drawn to heaven, whether through prayer or just thinking about that being their eternal home that they are approaching. The young person lacks that to their detriment. The young person is not as inclined to pray. The young person is not as inclined to look to their creator simply because of how well things are going. But Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When the trials come, that's when you look to the Lord. Few things cause us to pray more than health problems. I have no problem with this whatsoever. But if you listen to most prayer requests, they're either for people's salvation or they're for physical affliction or suffering that people are experiencing. Few things in life cause us to look to the Lord more than health problems do and young people don't typically have that, that uh, nagging or even that benefit that would cause them to do so. So what does Solomon say? He says, things are going well for you at this season of life, and, you, but you need to, and because of that, you need to make sure that you remember your creator before your body starts breaking down. Lesson two, it's easy to forget our creator in the days of our youth because part two, meeting him seems far away. Meeting him seems far away. If I thought about when I was in the best shape of my life, it'd probably have been when I was in college in ROTC, and most of the other, or pretty much all the other cadets, or they wouldn't have lasted in ROTC, were in uh, equally good shape. And there was one moment I remember, because the officers who were training us are, are very professional. I mean, they're military-minded individuals. They're not going to get real personal with you. I can't remember. I remember one time when someone talked about his children. They don't talk about their marriage. They don't talk about their family. They're just training you constantly. One time this gentleman got fairly personal with us, which is probably why I can remember it so well. And he was looking at all of us, all of us cadets, and he said, when you're young, you never think about dying. And he was right. He saw all of these very fit and healthy young people, and he knew that death was the furthest thing from our minds. And then he said, when you get older, you start thinking about death more often. And he was right about that as well. And this is one of the other detriments of youth. Older people think about death much more often than younger people. And when I say that, what does that mean? That means they think about meeting or standing before their creator, older people do, much more than younger people do. Which is to say that older people think much more often about giving an account of their lives. They think much more often about how they're living. Young people will not do that. I cannot tell you the number of people who have probably spent their lives, gotten older and looked back and been filled with terrible regret that they didn't think about what? Their creator earlier. Many people have gotten older and one of their biggest regrets is that they wasted or they squandered their lives. They didn't think about God until they had spent most of those decades ignoring him or neglecting him. And so what does Solomon say? He says, don't make this mistake. Don't reach the end of your life or your older years and realize that you had not given the thought to your creator that you should have. 
The next part of lesson two, it's easy to forget our creator in the days of our youth because part three of the world. So it's easy to forget our creator in the days of our youth because of the world. It's easy to forget our creator in the days of our youth because of the world. The world targets young people. It aims for young people. Whether it's the media, whether it's the movies, whether it's the music, it's always trying to pull in young people because when you're young, it's very easy to get caught up in the world and what it offers. It's not to say that there aren't temptations that accompany old age. There's still the flesh, there's still the devil, but I will say this. When you're younger, the world is considerably more attractive. The things that it offers you that you can sometimes just outgrow when you get older. You'll say, you'll say things like, this is something young people do. Young people would do that. Older people will not do this. Young people are targeted. And so being young, it's exciting, but the excitement can also become this barrier to closeness with God when you bring the world into your life. Young people can be more focused on the world. And when I say that, I mean young people can easily be more focused on the physical and the temporal of this life and what surrounds them and what is being offered to them versus the spiritual and the eternal. And so what does Solomon say? He says, you need to remember your creator in the days of your youth. What is one of the best ways for people, when, when he says remember your creator in the days of your youth, he's saying look to heaven. What is one of the best ways to deter people from sin or temptation? It's not to tell them to try harder. Just remember this. When you're counseling people, they've already been, if someone has the humility to come to you regarding a sin or a struggle, I guarantee they've already been trying. They don't need to be told to try harder. What they need to be told is to look to Christ or have a heavenly or an eternal view. They've been failing because they've been trying hard and probably feel like they can't try harder. And so what they need to be told to avoid sin and temptation is to look to Christ, to lift their, lift their eyes from the physical and temporal to the heavenly and the eternal. Why am I telling you that? Because that's what Solomon is saying. When he says, remember your creator, he's saying, look to heaven, look to the Lord. It is one of this, what person who has their eyes set on heaven is going to throw themselves into the world? And what person who is in the world who looks to heaven can do anything but be removed from the world or stop looking at heaven? They're incompatible. They're mutually exclusive with each other. And so Solomon says, avoid the world by remembering your creator when you're young. Lesson three, remember your creator in the days of your youth before your body betrays you. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before your body betrays you. I want to make a very strong appeal to all the young people, and so I'd ask you to listen to me, please. If you're writing or doing something, go ahead and look at me. God has given you some things that you take for granted that you're going to lose as you get older. God has given you some things that are going to diminish as you get older. And what's that? He's given you health. He's given you vitality. He's given you strength. He's given you energy. He's given you intellect. The one thing that he's given you that you have more of than you will have any other time in your life is time. He's given you desire. He's given you passion. He's given you talent. If you're a young person, God has given you all of those things that Solomon says that over time are going to be diminished. You will begin to lose them. And so what do you need to do? You need to make the most of them while you're young. You need to make the most of all of the ability and strength and talent and gifting God has given you while you still can, while you have all that energy, while you don't have any of the limitations that you're going to have when you get older. Basically, while everything is still working well for you, before your sciatica goes out and then you find yourself lying on your back for a month in bed unable to to do very much or or try to get things done in a a fairly unproductive way and so the point is don't waste what god is giving you on worldly or even if not worldly and sinful even if not immoral but meaningless 
empty, vain activities. Paul says so many things are permissible, but they're not beneficial. That verse is not to encourage you to do permissible things. That verse is to consider whether you're doing something that is beneficial. How tragic is it when people, and I'm not even talking about throwing themselves into something sinful, but just throw them, and I'm not trying to say you can't have hobbies or activities. Let me make that qualifier first. But I am saying this, how terribly tragic is it for people to waste hours, hundreds of them, perhaps months, perhaps years of their lives on things that are not necessarily sinful, but have no eternal value? I mean, God has given you this life. If you're redeemed by Christ, what does he own? He owns you completely. He owns all of you. He owns all of your time. He owns all of your energy. He owns all of your life. He owns your desires, your pursuits, your passions should be submitted to him. To live a life where you're throwing yourself the strength, the energy, the intellect, the vitality God has given you into something of no eternal value is to fail to serve Christ as you should as a redeemed vessel. And so the the question isn't this. Don't ask this question. Don't say necessarily, is it sinful? Because there's a lot of things you can do that aren't necessarily sinful. And I've counseled enough people who have responded and said it's not sinful. The question is, is it profitable? Is it beneficial to the kingdom of God? Is it something that's serving the church or serving Christ or serving others? Is there some spiritual or eternal benefit to this? Or am I basically just wasting my life and forgetting my creator in the days of my youth and doing the exact opposite of what Solomon is saying here? Tragically, there are many people who come to the end of their lives and they can be saved people and they regret that they wasted so many years not serving God. Now, do you know who is one of, if not the very best examples, not just in Scripture, but in all of history, of doing exactly what Solomon says not to do and wasting his life? Solomon. Solomon, probably the premier example. Has anyone in all of history, second to Christ, been given as much as he was? I mean, the the ability, the talent that this man had and he wasted so much of it, so many years. You remember some months ago, we read 1 Kings 11. Solomon embraced all of so much idolatry that God told him, if it was not for your father David and the covenant that I made with him, I would take the entire nation from you. But instead, he left the southern kingdom, he left Judah and Benjamin, not because of Solomon, but because of what God, to be faithful to the covenant that God had made with David. But the point is, Solomon had turned so far from God because of that wasteful living and squandering all that God had given him. And so it's no coincidence that Solomon is the one who wrote this. You should know this if you've never heard this before. God writes the Bible through human authors, but he often uses or or always uses those human authors' experiences, strengths, weaknesses, to give those authors credibility and bolster the points that they're making. Now, most commentators, or maybe all of them, conclude that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. So Solomon knew better than anyone what it felt like to reach the end of your life and squander what God has given you. He is one of the best examples of wasting those strong, healthy, important years that could be used for serving God because he used them for serving his wives serving his own pleasures, serving the idols that he was worshiping. And so he reaches out to young people, and I appreciate that he does. I appreciate that Solomon reached a point in his life where he would say this, and he speaks to every single young person, and so don't miss what he's saying. Don't make the same mistake I did. Don't waste your life like I did. Remember your creator in the days of your youth so that you will not get older and have the same regrets that I have. And so all of the young people here, they should read this account. They should be thankful that God has graciously reached out to them through the life of Solomon and through the pages of Scripture, making this appeal to you, which is exactly what's happening. And the young people should say, since I know that there are difficult days coming, since I know that I have this strength and health and vitality now, but I'm not going to have it forever, I need to lay this strong foundation I need to 
serve the Lord with the strength and with the energy that he has given me now before I start losing it, before those days when I get older and I don't have the same strength and health. I'm telling you, just live in a way, young people, live in a way that you can get older and not be filled with regret. Young people, live in a way that you can get older and not be ashamed of decisions you made or wish that you could go back and undo things. What is the very worst thing for people to have to say? It is not, I'm sorry. It's, I wish I could go back. That is the very worst thing, the most painful thing for people to have to say, I wish I could go back. And so Solomon says, remember your creator in the days of your youth so that you will not have to say, I wish I could go back. Look at the last verse for this morning, verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. He says, all is vanity. And so the book, because of the way Solomon lived, concludes the same way that it began. I mean, these are bookends, vanity of vanities. He says the same thing in chapter 1, verse 2, that he says right here in chapter 12, verse 8, letting you know that this is just how life was for him. And I want to be clear about something. And, and everyone, just please make sure you listen to me when I say this, because I've heard this misunderstood so many times, and it's very frustrating each time. If you misunderstand this one point that I'm about to make, you'll misunderstand the entire book of Ecclesiastes. If you can understand this one simple point that I'm about to make, you will be able to appreciate the book of Ecclesiastes greatly. Many people look at this book and they'll say, I mean, maybe along with Lamentations, that it's the most discouraging and depressing book in all of Scripture. It is. It's important to understand that it is because it is the record of a life lived apart from God. When someone lives separate from Christ, what is life like? It is then vanity of vanities. So Ecclesiastes is not the record of a believer's life. Ecclesiastes is the record of an unbeliever's life, even after that unbeliever has had everything that the world offers. We, we believe typically that Solomon did come to faith at the end of his life because of how Ecclesiastes ends, but he spent most of his life not just as an unbeliever, but as one of the, the worst unbelievers, just engaging in all of the worldliness that he could. And so Ecclesiastes, it's, the, it's a record of what life looks like without God. This is what life looks like when you live far from God like Solomon did for so many years. And so, of course, it is going to sound what? Depressing, discouraging, everything is going to be empty in vain. If Solomon could live as an apostate and then write a book about it and it sounds filled with joy, then it would contradict with the rest of Scripture. Instead, Solomon says, this is life when you live like me and you don't have the Lord in it. Now go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight for some encouragement. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, and then notice this, knowing that if you are in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. If you're in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Or here's another way to say it. If you're in the Lord, your labor is not the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're in Christ, Ecclesiastes is not the record of your life. And this brings us to lesson four. Life with Christ is not vain. I know it's written differently in your handouts. I changed this last night. I didn't want it to, I didn't want it to be written the way it is in the handout. So please just put it like it is. I, I wanted a more positive spin on it. Instead, I, think, I think in the handout I have something like life, life without Christ is vain. That sounds negative. I want a positive. Life with Christ is not vain. So write that. Life with Christ is not vain. So yes, life without Christ is the book of Ecclesiastes. Life without Christ is what Solomon experienced, vanity of vanities. But life with Christ, it is not vain. It is the, here's a simple way to say it. Life with Christ is the opposite of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I like that Paul says labor here. 
What if Paul said, your fun is not in vain, or your pleasure is not in vain, or your enjoyment is not in vain? You'd say, yeah, of course it's not in vain. Those are enjoyable things for me. They're not vanity. What does Paul say is not in vain? Your labor, your service, your sacrifice. What's our greatest, what's your greatest fear as a Christian? The Christianity wouldn't be real and your life was wasted or your life is in vain. And so Paul says that's not the case. Christ is resurrected. You are not the most pitied of all people, which is what he said earlier, if, if Christ is not resurrected. And so to take this back to our bodies breaking down, all the suffering that you experience in Christ, all of the pain, all of the trials, all of your perseverance, it's not in vain if you're in Christ. The beauty of, of Christianity is that all of the worst things you might experience are not in vain if you're in Christ. Here's one other thought. As I read the book of Ecclesiastes, I saw this man, Solomon, who at best he's discouraged and at worst he's depressed and he's hopeless. And why is that? Because Solomon writes Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. He's obviously regretting the way that he's lived previously. But he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes as an unbeliever. I'm not saying he was an unbeliever when he wrote it, but I'm saying he's looking back on the life of an unbeliever. If you go to the end of your life, for an unbeliever, where are all of the best days? Behind. For the life of an unbeliever, when they reach the end of their life, there's no hope. It is the most unimaginably hopeless situation. They have nothing to look forward to. They have no future. All of the best days are behind them. For the believer, you go to the end of your life and what? It's the exact opposite. Your best days are ahead of you. You have everything to look forward to. You have a wonderful future to consider when you get to the end of your life if you're a believer. Everything was unpleasant to Solomon, but it doesn't have to be unpleasant to us. It was unpleasant to him. It was miserable to him because he only thought about this life and he only lived for this life. As you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it is a man experiencing everything this life has to offer, giving no thought to heaven. If we only think about and if we only live for this life, it is miserable and unpleasant for us as well. But if we are in Christ and we live for and we think about the next life, we can experience the peace and the joy even when our bodies are breaking down or even when they are betraying us. I want to close with this quote. Charles Spurgeon said, It is our duty and it is our privilege to exhaust our lives or to spend our lives for Jesus. We are not to be living specimens of men in fine preservation, but to be li- we are to be living sacrifices. And so our bodies seem to betray us, but we can be encouraged that we are using them up as living sacrifices for God's glory, and therefore none of our suffering or trials or pain are in vain. Now, when Katie and I were going over the sermon last night, she said, you know, there's this song that just fits so perfectly with your sermon. I wish we would have thought of it earlier so I could sing it. And then she said, well, maybe I could still sing it. And I said, well, that'd be, that'd be really wonderful. I mean, I know you haven't practiced, and so I appreciate that Katie offered to sing the song. So that's we're gonna ha- how we're going to have to, um, that's how we're going to conclude, and I'll pray when she's done. Your labor is not in vain, though the ground underneath you is cursed and stained. Your planting and reaping are never the same. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not unknown. Though the rocks they cry out and the sea it may groan, the place of your toil may not seem like a home, but your labor is not unknown. I am with you, I am with you, I am with you, oh, I am with you. For I have called you, called you by name. Your labor is.
is not in vain. The vineyards you plant will bear fruit. The fields will sing out and rejoice with the truth. For all that is old will at last be made new. The vineyards you plant will bear fruit. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. For I have called you, called you by name. Your labor is not in vain. The houses you labor to build will finally with laughter and joy be filled. The serpent that hurts and destroys will be killed, and all that is broken be healed. I am with you, I am with you. I am with you, oh, I am with you, for I have called you, called you by name. Your labor is not in vain. Oh, thank you. That oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> My beautiful wife. Father, we thank you that our labor is not in vain, that what a, what a blessing it is to think that whatever we would suffer, whatever trials we experience, whatever pain, that it's not in vain, that it's not empty, that if we're in Christ, it's being used for your glory and for eternal purposes. We can't see them all, Lord. We don't know why certain things happen. We don't know why we go through different things. We don't get that answer any more than Job got the answer. You didn't tell, real, reveal to him. He couldn't see behind the curtain, and we can't either, Lord. But we do thank you that it's not in vain. We have this promise that it's being used for our sanctification in your glory. And what a blessing that is. What a hope we have in Christ, Lord. And we're so thankful for that. We pray this in his name. Amen.